Continuing our new series entitled, We Put the Stud in Bible Study, Pastor Chase Durham talks about treating people with excellence. A perfect example of this is the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Pastor Chase asked the challenging question, do you treat everyone as if they are Christ himself? Now let's treat Pastor Chase with excellence by listening to his message. All right, guys. Seriously, I'm excited uh, to be here this morning. The word that the Lord has laid on my heart is all about excellence. And specifically, the title of my lesson is going to be Treating People with Excellence. And so what I love hearing about this room as I look across, we've got Kroger, we've got TI, we've got all sorts of different businesses. You guys all are, whether you're husbands or grandparents or dads, the, what we are going to be talking about today, treating people with excellence is going to apply in every area of your life. It's going to apply in the workplace. It's going to apply in your homes. It's going to apply here at church. It's going to apply at the gas pump with your grief counselor. It's going to apply wherever you go. I want to challenge us to be men who know how to treat people with excellence. So to start, um, I'm going to summarize Genesis 1-1 because we have to understand Genesis 1-1 if we are going to com- be compelled to treat people with excellence. You guys probably remember if you have read Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created absolutely everything. He hung, the, he hung the stars in the sky, the sun and the moon. He separated the land from the water. He created the livestock and the fish that swim in the sea. And then it builds up to the crowning jewel of creation, mankind. There was nothing else in this entire creation that was created in God's very own image except man. There is a uniqueness to mankind, and it's that it was created in the image of God. When God created man, not only did he say it was good, but he said that it is very good. And so I want to start our day here because we need to see that there is a uniqueness about humanity. And here's the main point for this lesson. People are important to God, and therefore they must also be important to you. People are important to God, and therefore they must also be important to you. A couple weeks ago, I got to go to a seminar hosted by the founder of the Ritz-Carlton. This guy's name is Horst Schulze. He's a German fella. And this seminar, um, although while not explicitly Christian, has tremendous biblical principles and Christian values. So let me share a little bit about Horst's life with you. Like I said, he's from Germany, and at a young age, he had a desire to work in the hospitality business. He was not your normal kid that wanted to be a firefighter or a police officer or a doctor or a lawyer. He had a desire from like preteen years to work in a hotel in a hospitality business. And so his parents found him an internship, and they got him an internship at one of the nicest hotels um, in, the, in Germany, in kind of the area that they lived in. And so he would spend his, his summers interning, if you will, at this um, hotel. And his mentor, it's called a maitre d', but that's weird in America, so we're going to call him a mentor. His mentor that he was paired with was someone who was known as just this excellent um, hospitality profession, professional. And so he followed this mentor around as, as the mentor would go through the ballroom and through the dining room and through the lobby of their hotels. And he noticed that there was something so unique about this guy. Normally, he had this 
uh, horse had this expectation that people who worked in a hotel were just kind of like lowly servants. No one cared who they were. They were just kind of bossed around. But this mentor was different. When he would enter into the dining rooms, guests who were at the tables would call out to him and want him to come to their table and visit with him. When he would walk through the lobby, people would stop him and call him by name and engage in conversation. And the mentor would know their kids' names and would know the, what they all do for work. And, and he was kind of confused by the role of this mentor in the hospital. And so he, he began asking this mentor questions like, man, how, how does everyone know you? How, you bring so much joy to the room when you enter. And this mentor taught Horst a life-changing principle that in fact turns out to be a very biblical principle. He taught Horst this. He said, never show up to work. Show up to create excellence. Never show up to work. Show up to create excellence. So here we have this mentor as he enters into the dining room. He doesn't have the, ex the expectation that he's going to show up and just clear off someone's plate and just work. He has the expectation that he's going to show up and he's going to create excellence. He's going to know your kids' names. He's going to clear off your, your plates perfectly. He's going to make a joke. He's going to be the life of the party because he's going to show up to create excellence. And so Horst Schultz, who's founded the Ritz-Carlton, took that lesson and he applied it to developing the Ritz-Carlton. Now with the Ritz-Carlton, we're not just going to be just a hotel. We're going to be a hotel that creates excellence for every single guest. And now I know when we think of the Ritz-Carlton, yes, it is incredibly expensive, but the price tag is not what makes the Ritz-Carlton so special. It's the service. It's the customer service. They have trained everyone from the executives to the maids to show up not to work, but to create excellence. And so there was a, something that came out of that when he said that if you just show up to work, you will show up and you will be just a cog in the machine. You will just get the job done. Your integrity will slack when your supervisor's not looking. You will get caught up in more burnout because you're just a, you're just a piece of the puzzle. But when you are someone who shows up to create excellence, you are eager to show up on Monday to get to work and create excellence. He made this remark that just resonated so much. He said that if you just show up to work, your favorite day of the week is probably Friday. But if you show up to create excellence, your favorite day of the week might be Monday because you are eager and excited to create something special. Now, I realize this is the workplace, but think about in your homes. Imagine when you wake up in the morning, if you just have the expectation, oh, I'm just going to go through the motion with my kids. I'm just going to go through the motion with my wife. I'm just going to go through the motion with my neighbors. It, it, it could lead to a very mundane, lackluster life and pursuit. But if you wake up each and every day with your spouse or your grandkids or your neighbors with the intent, I'm going to go take out my trash cans with the hope of creating excellence in my neighborhood, and then you get to engage your neighbor next door, it literally changes the trajectory of everything that you do. Horst Schultze, again, founding the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton operates um, on a different um, level of money than most of us do. Horst empowered every single one of his employees to spend up to $2,000 to make sure that every guest has the best possible experience 
that could be had. Here's a story that just stuck with me. He told several, but this one just blew my mind. They had a businessman who stayed at their hotel and he checked out and he flew back to wherever he was from and it turned out he left his laptop at the hotel which I know I've done before and I'm sure you guys have done before. And so this businessman, he calls back to the Ritz-Carlton and he says, hey, please tell me you have found my computer. And, and thankfully they had. And so this businessman just said, hey, could you, I have a presentation literally tomorrow morning. Can you FedEx it the fastest shipping possible and I will cover the costs. Like just, I need my computer for this presentation. The Ritz-Carlton says, yes, sir, we will get it to you. Rather than leaving it to chance that FedEx would get it to him, someone, one of their employees, buys a plane ticket that was leaving in a couple of hours and hand delivers this man's computer to this guy's home to make sure that he has it for his presentation. That's excellence. That is customer service. That is loving people. You see, what Horst discovered when he was building this brand of the Ritz-Carlton is he discovered a biblical principle that people are important. Remember, the main point for this lesson is that people are important to God, and therefore they must be important to us. When I think about these businesses that just excel in customer service and hospitality, I'm going to ask you, shout out some businesses that come to mind um, that have excellent customer service. Chick-fil-A. Chick First one that comes to my mind. I have one more that comes to my mind so quickly. In and out? No way, man. Get out of here with your California nonsense. <laughs> this is Whataburger country. Was that Dennis? Yes, sir. Do you know that they have scriptures on their cups? I, I don't care. <laughs> this is Whataburger country. Someone exercise some church discipline on those men back there. <laughs> the circuit, get out of here. So the first one I thought of, yes, was Chick-fil-A. And then the second was Disney World. Guys, when I think about those two places... When I think about Chick-fil-A, Don Westback, he's a member here. Hopefully you guys have gotten to know Don. I've gotten to have several lunches with Don. Just like, what makes Chick-fil-A so special and so different? And it's not that they have the best chicken sandwich, although while I, I do think they do, it's because they value people. That's what makes Chick-fil-A so special is that when you walk in, it's the hospitality, it's the customer service. When you take your toddler to Disney World and they get treated like they are a prince or a princess and they get treated like they are royalty and they truly feel like this place is magical because of the way the, the employees interact with them and all of those things, it is because these businesses have learned the value of people. So... Why are we talking about customer service in a Bible study? Well, if we are truly children of God, we are in the customer service business. We are in the people business. If you are a child of God, you are saved to be a blessing to other people. If you are a father, you are saved to be a blessing to your children. If you are a spouse, you are to be a blessing to your spouse. If you are an employee or an employer, you are to be a blessing to those that you um, work with. Customer service is a huge part throughout all of our lives. There was a saint, his name was Saint Benedict, and he had this rule. This rule haunts me and I think 
when I share it with you, it's also going to haunt you. He said this, we must treat everyone that we interact with as if they are Christ himself. So let's turn that into a question. Have you treated everyone that you have interacted with as if they are Christ themselves? Have you treated every waiter and waitress as if they are Christ themselves? Have you treated every employee as they are Christ themselves? Have you treated every employer? I'm going to be the first to say, no, I haven't. But man, imagine if we adopt that mindset that we're going to treat our children, we're going to talk to our children, we're going to talk to our spouses, we're going to talk to our employees and our employers as if they are Christ Himself. Imagine the excellence that we could create. Imagine what it would be like if we truly understood how important people are to God and that they became that important to us. Remember, every single person is created in the image of God. Therefore, they are important to God and they need to be important to us, whether they look like us or they don't look like us. So let's open up God's word together to, to, so we can see that this is, in fact, a biblical principle. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let me open this up in my Bible. Luke 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 25 starts like this And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I want to draw our attention back to verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? This question is revealing the heart of this man. He is trying to figure out who he should love rather than how he should love. Here's the problem with that. By asking who he should love, he is trying to figure out who he can love and who he cannot love. Do you see the problem with that? 
Jesus did not say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love some neighbors as yourself. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is all people. And here's what's hard for us. In a world that is so divided, in a world where you either have to stand on this side or that side, we typically will only love the people that we stand with over here. And we become enemies with the people over here. But Jesus would say that we are in sin if we have enemies in that way. So whether someone has voted Republican or Democrat, we love them. Whether someone is a male or a female, we love them. Whether they exercise different moralities than us, we love them. It is not who, it is not we only love the people that we are like-minded with. We love all people. And that's one of the challenging things when it comes to this world today is because this world tries to make enemies that if you don't agree with this person, then you hate them and you want nothing to do with them. And that is unbiblical and that is unchristian. So when we think about this story of the Good Samaritan, when we think back to those three main characters, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, the priest... Guys, this was, uh, to contextualize it, this was the pastor, right? He's the one who who studied the scriptures, who's given his life to to proclaiming God's word. He knows uh, the scriptures. He's in church every week because he works at the church. Like this is the holy one. This parable does not say exactly why he passed by the man who had been robbed. But as we read commentators, their input on this, they give several possible reasons, okay? So just know these are not in the Scripture, but it could, be, uh, it could be assumed. This priest, at the time, there were the cleanliness laws, and so as he approached this man, he probably might have thought he was dead, and so the priest probably thought to himself, man, if I came in contact with him, then I would be unclean, and, and I don't want to be unclean, so I'm just going to keep walking on by. Maybe the priest knew that this guy got beaten up, robbed, and mugged. And so he also did not want to get beaten up, robbed, and mugged. Whatever the reason was, the priest saw the man and he continued to walk on by. At the very least, you think that he could have called somebody else. (laughs) At the very least. But he just walks on by. Then that second character that was from this story was the Levite. The Levite would have been like the assistant to the priest or the mentee of the priest. The Levite would have been exposed to God's laws and commandments just as much as the priest. The Levite would have known the commands of Scripture. The Levite has spent his time in church. The Levite would have been viewed as a holy man in society and he also walks right on by the man who is beaten and robbed. And then we have the Samaritan. Now what's unique is if you have studied what is uh, interesting about the Samaritans is they were a hated people during these times. They were considered these half-breeds. Jews that had uh, intercourse with 
non-Jews, and there you get the Samaritans. And Jews did everything they could to stay away from these Samaritan people because they were not purebred Jewish people. And so it's interesting that Jesus made the Samaritan the main hero in this story because the Samaritan would have never been considered a hero in this time. He would have been considered the outcast. He would have been considered the unpopular. He would have been considered the one who is low in society. The Samaritan would have been considered the one who is despised. But Jesus uses this Samaritan to teach us the principle that people are important to God and therefore people must be important to us. I want to read to you verse 33. Verse 33. So likewise, oh here, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So this first principle the Samaritan teaches us is he had compassion on this man. The only way that we will have compassion on people is if we understand Genesis 1, 26-28, that every single person is made in the image of God, and that every single person is not just mere flesh, but every single person literally has a soul that will be judged for all of eternity. When we start seeing our co-workers as if they have a soul, when we start seeing our neighbors as if they are made in the image of God, when we start seeing our children and our grandchildren as if they are image bearers, that will propel us and compel us to have compassion on them. When we understand that the lady checking us out at the grocery store is made in the image of God. That is what cultivates in us this compassion for them, to love them, to treat people with excellence. And this Samaritan had compassion on this man. And he knew to love all people. Let's read 34. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Sometimes when we are aiming to treat people with excellence, not only do we meet the spiritual needs of a person, but sometimes we feel compelled to meet the physical needs of people. This Samaritan did not just approach the man beaten and robbed and say, oh, I'll pray for you and then walk on by. This Samaritan bound up his wounds, put him on his donkey, got him to the inn, used his own money to house this man. There are always two hands sometimes to ministering. The hand that meets the physical need and the hand that meets the spiritual need. And sometimes as Christians, we make the excuse that we just want to meet the spiritual need because I don't want to give my money here. I don't want to give my time here. I just want to say I'm going to pray for you. And the reality is I might or I might not. Here's a pet peeve of mine. If you say you're going to pray for someone, you, you better dang pray for that person. Okay? Let's at least get that. But sometimes when we're ministering to people, sometimes when we're treating people with excellence, we need to go the extra measure and meet physical needs of people. Now, I know um, you guys probably get hit up regularly 
from this missionary couple that's raising funds, from, from this neighbor that is trying to raise money for, for their sick friend. From, there are all these causes that go around that it's like this fundraiser after this fundraiser. And so you might be like, well, Chase, how do we, how, like literally I cannot give to all of these fundraisers. I wanna give you a little just mental criteria for you to use as you consider meeting physical needs of people. The Holy Spirit will propel you and compel you in the areas that you're supposed to go all in for. The Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will compel you and propel you to go all in on certain areas. Maybe it's a missionary couple that you decide to go all in supporting. Maybe it's some, uh, someone's in poor health and you feel compelled to go all in and supporting and helping paying for those medical bills. Let me give you an example. So I'm the youth pastor, if you guys didn't know that. I've been here eight and a half years and I have seen all sorts of kids come through our ministry. Some from very, very tragic, broken homes. Some um, adopted, some foster kids, you, you name it. We have, my wife and I have seen it. There have been plenty of opportunities where kids could have really used, oh, I don't know, like an adoption or just someone to take them in. And, there ha and Kendall and I have never felt compelled on a, a lot of these situations. But there was one time, and I'm not telling you this story to make me and Kendall seem like heroes. I want to show you as an illustration that sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to compel you to go all in and meet physical needs. We had one student, she lost her father, so it was a single mother household, and then the mom gets diagnosed with cancer. And mom calls us because we were very close to this family. She's in tears. She's like, I don't know what I would do. They have no extended family. Literally, the girls would go, like, would go off to distant Aunt Sally, who they don't even know. And there was in that moment a uniting force of the Holy Spirit between me and Kendall that we looked at each other and we said we would adopt these teenage girls. And it was just like we would have never thought that or done that for, for all these kids we've come into contact with. But sometimes, guys, be willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, go all in here and meet the physical needs of someone around you and be willing to step in. Now I want to say, praise God, the Lord healed this mother, family still intact, praise God. But I share that story because I want you to be open-handed to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to go all in sometimes to meet some physical needs of the people around you. So not only did the Samaritan meet those physical needs, but also what we learn from this parable is Jesus is teaching us that people are so important. People are made in the image of God. People are important to God, therefore they must be important to us. So here is our challenge and what I want to leave you with. Stop treating people like you work the front desk at a Motel 6. <laughs> and start treating people like you work at the Ritz-Carlton. Stop treating people like you at work at the average run-of-the-mill fast food restaurant and start treating people like you work at Chick-fil-A. Stop treating people like you work at just gross Six Flags and start treating people like you work at Disney World. Remember St. Benedict's rule. Treat every single person as if they are Christ 
himself. And so men, if we can adopt that mindset, if we can learn to treat people with excellence, we will worship and glorify God and we will win people to the Lord. So create excellence in all of your relationships. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this parable of the Good Samaritan. And God, I pray that we as the men of Codwood Creek Church would never be like the Levite and the priest who just walk on by. I pray that we'd be like the Samaritan who, who has compassion on all of those around us. And Lord, I'll be the first conf to confess that no, I, I don't always treat everyone with excellence. I don't always treat or speak to my kids in the way that honors you the most. But Lord, I do ask for your help. I ask that I would be diligent in trying to create excellence in, in all of my relationships. I would be diligent in trying to treat everyone as if they are your son, Jesus himself. Father, help all of us to become men who create excellence in our relationships, who create excellence in the workplace, who create excellence in our homes, and worship you with all of our heart, soul, and strength. It's in your Son's name, by the power of the Spirit, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, we love you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you come back to listen to future episodes of Men's Bible Study.